because I think a lot of people have that mindset and I think the good thing about nutrition is a lot of them can you know we can take a lot of what the elite does in terms of nutrition and put it into practice it's really easy to do I want to say it's easy like um, you know it does have its barriers but um, it's something that everybody can jump on whereas you know strength and conditioning you, you probably know there's a lot of barriers uh, where, where, where people try and copy what the elites do um, you know flexibility strength everything but whereas nutrition we, we, we can jump on it and learn a lot from it I think it's probably best to start off with a bit of a an elevator pitch so people understand who you are, what you do, and I guess who you serve. So I'll fire that straight across to you. Yeah, so yeah, when I was Ted Munson, I'm a performance nutritionist. So that's a sport I'm on the sport and exercise nutrition register, which comes under the, the British Dietetics Association. Um, so kind of fully registered to to work specifically with with sort of athletic populations. Um so I uh, started out about nine years ago, uh, graduated Hall University um, in sports science. I got a, an internship at Hull City Football Club as a sports science intern, um, working with everything from SNC, GPS, that was back in the Steve Bruce days of the Premier League. Um, and kind of like, that's where I got into nutrition at the time. They didn't really have a nutrition. So I think they had a, they had a guy towards my end, a guy called Shane Thurlow. They used to come in a day a month, which seems crazy now. Every <laughs> Premier League team has got multiple nutritionists. Um, and yeah, that really got me into it. So yeah, I went and did my master's in in, in, in sports science and a post-grad diploma in, uh, in, in sport and exercise nutrition at Leeds Beckett University. Um, I moved down to London from Hull, joined a company called Science and Sport, where I was working with a bunch of different athletes, endurance athletes, um, huge teams. Set my own consultancy uh, about four and a half years ago, um, you know, working with the likes of Chelsea Football Club, uh, work with Harlequins currently. Um, I left Harlequins at the, at the end of last season after being there for three years, um, working with the first team and now I've joined Brentwood Football Club. I also consult with, um, with Luton Town Football Club and I work for a, a Formula One team as well, uh, specifically nutrition. So yeah, really good, like definitely elite focused. Um, but you know, I, I do work, I do still have a couple of clients that are um, sort of amateur, I like to call them the kind of like everyday elites. Yeah. Because uh, I think a lot of people have that mindset. And I think the good thing about nutrition is a lot of them can, you know, we can take a lot of what the elite does in terms of nutrition and put it into practice. It's really easy to do. I want to say it's easy, like, um, you know, it does have its barriers, but um, it's something that everybody can jump on. Whereas, you know, strength and conditioning, you, you probably know there's a lot of barriers uh, where, where, where people try and copy what the elites do. Um, you know, flexibility, strength, everything. But whereas nutrition, we, we can jump on it and learn a lot from it. Yeah. Starting, I think starting there is probably the best place with the everyday elite, like you just called it there. So, um, it's a bit of a, a wide question, I guess it could go anywhere, but you know, what would you define as good nutrition for an amateur athlete? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, probably a lot of, like every, a lot of other nutritionists have completely def different definitions of this. But for me, in my experience, like it's about getting the basics right. And even actually before even getting the basics right, if we look at it from like an overall perspective, is is finding the balance. So for me, for me, there's like an 80-20 balance of like 
80% clean and, and, and good eating. And I think there's that, that 20% of enjoyment. I think that creates a sustainable diet. So say if we've got a plate, you know, a, a plate of food at dinner, you might want to get 80% of that. <clears throat> nice thing, you might have your, let's use an example, chicken, rice, and veg. What's the other 20% look like? Yeah, you know, you might really like ketchup. That goes on there. You might, um, you know, really like a, you know, a scoop of ice cream of your dessert. That counts as that 20%. That's sustainable for people. And that is still like, a lot of people get that wrong. They either try and go too clean that they just can't physically do that, end up dropping off, blowing out a little bit. Um, or the balance is like a 50-50 and they don't see gains from their nutrition. So for me, like even the, even the elites that I work with, I, I never tell anyone to cut out anything. It's just striking that balance of when to when to have the good thing, when to have the bad things. But I'd say the base, get the you know get that eighty twenty. Once you've got that, I think that there's a couple of kind of key sort of pillars. I, I like to break it down to kind of like four pillars because I don't think there's like a kind of a one size fits all model with it. Um, and for me, that's kind of like rebuild recovery hydration and energy and I, and I kind of like I think there's a basic thing to get right in each of those four pillars so if we start with energy like what is energy is calories and it's it's balancing that calories in versus calories out if you want to maintain where you are now a lot of people that are trying to get their diet right you know they might be trying to drop body fat let's use that as an example you've got to get your energy right and in that case the calories that we burn have got to be greater than the calories that we eat. And calories are king. Calories are everything in terms of performance and certain goals. So getting that balance right based on your goal is important. If it's to perform, you might want to maintain, you know, calories in equal calories out. I think, so that's kind of the number one. So energy, if we look at hydration, I think hydration is the, is the part probably the easiest thing to get right but I think everybody gets it wrong yeah. um, you know it's almost like you know water is you know pretty much free from the tap but I still see athletes really struggling to drink or turning up um, to training in a dehydrated state you know the literature will say that majority of athletes urinals and reality scores are really low before they train you know just a just a two percent in body mass loss due to dehydration is enough to decrease performance by 20%. That's a huge amount of physical performance, not just physical performance, mental performance, the way we think our peripheral vision. So quite simply, like just drinking a bottle of water on your way to training in the morning, like ticks the box, but so many people get that wrong. Uh, so that's energy hydration. I think there's the rebuild side of things. Um, I see rebuild as like protein. So I think protein, there's been a lot, I think a lot of, people get this right now certainly in the last five six years as like commercial products have developed and things like that but i think i see people either kind of two extremes either over consume protein like constantly like you know way over two grams per kilo of body mass um you know having kind of three four grams per kilo body, so it, it becomes a little bit pointless and we see some like negative um sort of bowel movements and things like that or we see people under consuming protein. Um, and that's not always because of like sort of a lack of knowledge. It could be because of certain diets that they're following and they could be restricting or could be undertaken like a, as, as vegan and vegetarian diets get more popular, we see protein intake decrease. 
Um, but the, to me, getting your protein right is so important uh, as, a, as, as a, an amateur athlete because quite often you do a whole lot of exercise. And then finally, so we've done energy hydration, rebuild, and finally is recovery. Um, and quite often I, I see like, I see amateur athletes and I compare them to elite athletes in terms of the amount of training that they do. And if you're a committed amateur, crossfitters, things like that, they do so much work, probably work a lot harder than an elite athlete does. An elite athlete might, in terms of team sport, they might train for an hour and a half a day, if that. Um, and I know a lot of amateur athletes that, you know, train twice as much of that morning, double sessions on a daily basis. Uh, and in that case, we, you know, an emphasis needs to be on recovery. And when we look at recovery, and it's probably something we can jump into more detail, um, is, is what does that look like? Probably has like sleep and nutrition is 85, 90% of recovery, um, where I still see a lot of people focusing on um, like, you know, spending a load of money on a massage gun and, and things like that, where if you put that time into, um, you know, focus on your nutrition, focusing on that 24 hours afterwards, what are they doing immediately after, what they're doing every hour, um, what they're having before they go to bed, you can see a huge amount of greater gains in recovery. So it's probably a little bit of a longer answer, but yeah, as a summary, get the basics right. I think those four pillars, energy, hydration, recovery, rebuild, nail those sort of basics, but then also think about that 80, 20, make, make your diet sustainable, depending yeah. on what your goal is. If we just focus on one of those, if you don't mind, just the mm. recovery one, because that jumped out to me because Again, I, I always say to my athletes, like sleep and nutrition, they're big rocks. And then we can look further up the pyramid, further up the ladder, whatever you want to call it. So if you, from a, a nutrition perspective for recovery, um, where do you think people are lacking at the amateur level in terms of, yeah. of nailing that big rock for recovery? I think recovery isn't always about what you do after exercise. I think sometimes we get a little bit caught up, are we having that shake within 30 minutes, things like that. When actually recovery starts on like a daily basis and that is matching that energy intake. So say if I've got an athlete dropping some body fat um, and, you know, they're going to be in a calorie deficit and a calorie deficit doesn't promote recovery. It's going to make them more sore because they haven't got energy helping them recover, which, you know, it requires a lot of energy to help an athlete recover. So what, what I usually recommend is that, you know, match day minus one, day before a game, day of a game, we're not in a deficit, we're in a surplus or potentially even a maintenance, depending on the goal. Um, that will help as a start off with making sure we're not in a deficit on match day uh, or whatever that competition that you may be doing. Um, so it gets a little bit harder as you work harder. So if you're like an endurance athlete undertaking an ultra marathon, obviously it's really hard to take in eight, 9,000 calories in one day. But as a team sport athlete, depending on the size of you, certainly some of like the, in rugby, some of the front rows I've worked with, you know, 100, 120 odd kilos plus, they're still expending five, maybe 6,000 calories in that day. So for me, get, get that one right, get that calorie intake in. Um, there are easy ways of doing it, you know, and that is making sure that you're like, you know, having proper breakfast, having your pre-match meal snacks in between. Um, because a lot of people get a little bit nervous before games, don't really eat much in the lead up to you do your game, all of a sudden you're playing catch up. And then after three o'clock, you've got, 
you know, you've got six hours to take on 6,000 calories is not going to happen. Um, and if you tried that, it would make you feel very uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, trying to get, get a balance of that energy in versus energy out, probably number one thing. And then, then it's starting to look at what you do after exercise. So like in terms of the guidelines, and, and I've, I've played around with a lot of different things in terms of, you know, looking at the guidelines, what actually works, what's realistic. The best way to do it, um, I, in an ideal world, and probably more practical, is that after intense exercise where you've expended a, a fair bit, of, a fair few calories, are you going to be hungry for food? Probably not. You know, exercise decreases our appetite. So that is where things like protein shakes come in, come in handy. You know, I think that's where it's used. If, if you are hungry after exercise, great, get that full meal on. If it's practical for you to have a full meal, but most of us it's not, we're driving home from training, we're then cooking our food, then all of a sudden it's been an hour and a half. So I would say like, get something on within 30 minutes, um, you know, at least 20 grams of protein, depending on your, on sort of how much you've expended. Um, do you need to replace the carbohydrates in there as well? So a carbohydrate protein shake or like a milk based shake. Um, and then within an hour, trying to have that full meal, a balanced meal, calories, again, dependent on what you're trying to do. What have you got on the next day as well? Think about, um, are you going again? Does it need to be higher in carbohydrate, slightly lower in carbohydrate, but still keep that protein um, relatively stable around that sort of 30 gram mark usually hits the spot. Then what happens next depends on probably, you know, how fast you want to recover. I really like using the kind of hour approach and that is like taking on a snack every hour on the hour moving forward. So if, if I had like a competition the next day or maybe I had like two, three games in a week, maybe I had like even just a big day the next day where I'm going to be doing a lot of physical activity in my job. Yeah, I'd have like a usually planning even for the elites is like we have that full meal then we have like a dessert hour later. It could be like a yogurt pot, some granola, then you know half an hour 45 minutes later we send around some like fruit and nut bars some energy balls things like that and it's been shown that if we kind of top it up little and often we're going to be able to replenish more glycogen it's going to help our recovery even better um there's also looking at things that what you have before you go to sleep not necessarily right before you go to sleep but around that evening mark you know trying to have like a i usually recommend like some sort of dairy protein we know that dairy is so 80% casein, 20% whey. And if we can have that casein protein before we go to sleep, it's going to drip feed amino acids while we sleep. You know, small percentages, but ticks that box. Um, so I think that for me is a good place to start before you start looking at certain supplements that may aid recovery. Um, you know, there is some really good, um, sort of some decent research around things like tart cherry, um, you know, we use that with our, with our, with our elite athletes, because again, it's just that small percentages trying to increase our polyphenol content, um, decrease those free radicals that are causing DOMS, but you know, DOMS aren't always a bad thing. You know, it's your body using that time to recover. Uh, so yeah, from a recovery perspective, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. And I think what I've taken from there is that it's nothing that's impossible to do. Like that's just, you know what I mean? It's like you just say there, it's good food, hydration, at the right it's times planning. it's planning yeah i didn't even touch upon the hydration to be honest um yeah mainly main, main the recovery but it's it it's getting your timings right uh, and i think that's it comes down to planning like 
I have this often with like the elite players and they just don't plan. They don't think about what they're doing in the day or even the next day and get things ready. So like you think, is it going to take you an hour, hour and a half to drive home from your session? Okay, right. That's when you need to have that shit prepped and have a couple of snacks ready. But people forget to do that and end up stopping off having crap on the motorway. You know, you don't, you don't get that nutrition right. Um, but yeah, from hydration is obviously, you know, key from a recovery perspective. Um, yeah, and it, it's, it's understanding your body um, and how much you lose. So I always say, you know, get our guys to like jump on the scales before and after sessions, figure out how much they've lost. Um, obviously they might have, you know, gone to the toilet during that session, you know, spat out some fluid and things like that. Um, but you can figure out how much fluid you've lost really easily, give or take 100 mils or so. And ideally, we want to be take we want to be taking on in the hours after that exercise 150 percent of what you've lost. Um, not in one go, but just sipping it slowly. So if you've lost a kilo, you've drank 500 mils. About 500 mils is about half a kilo of fluid. So that's 1.5 kilos that you've lost. So having around about kind of like you know three odd three odd liters of water in the hours, hours after exercise. Obviously that gets a little bit trickier for evening sessions. That's where you're thinking about the next day. Um, but just understanding your body because that doesn't usually change. If you're a sweater, then you usually stay a sweater. Uh, so you don't need to do it every single time, but we need to be learning about our bodies. Um, we've got some players that will lose, even after a game, like half a kilo is that really nothing. It's really not a lot. They're not sweaters, but we've got some guys that will lose up to three kilos. That's me. <laughs> exactly and it's 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 crazy how and so i can't sit there and be like you need to have that much it's like well yeah you need to learn about your body and that will help you recover better moving forward yeah no that's a good insight i just want to um i picked up on a way you said at the start around misconception and it's kind of a two-part question this so what maybe and you've touched on supplements you, you mentioned there before you move on to the supplements you get these big rocks right so what are some of the, the biggest misconceptions slash mistakes you see amateur athletes make with supplements? And then the second part of that question, which we'll revert back to, is what maybe some of the misconceptions you see around the game day strategies you start to touch on there? To be honest, like I'm gonna I'm gonna change your question a little bit and then mm-hmm. answer the thing on supplements. Go on. Probably one of the biggest because you asked me before, like, what does good nutrition look like for your amateur athlete? Yeah, I kind of missed something out a little bit. I think because well, when you said about the biggest mistake that people make, and I think the biggest mistake that I see amateurs do is not periodizing nutrition for their yeah. training. I, I think that's the biggest mistake. I think what I often see is that people people are setting routines, and this isn't even with amateurs either. Like it is more with amateurs, but certainly with elite athletes, this is kind of the. the a similar sort of theme is we're, we're creatures of habit and we're used to having the same breakfast every day and the same snack similar sort of lunch maybe similar sort of dinner you know and we end up eating sometimes within just a couple of hundred calories difference every day but what we see is our training changes a huge amount we have rest days so take a take a random person they might burn two thousand calories on an off day but then all of a sudden put a 6k run in the morning and a gym session and could be a thousand calories you know it jumps up to three thousand but they've eaten the same thing so they might have eaten 2500 calories both days 
Okay, so one day they're overfueling. You know, what do we see from overfueling potential gains in body fat, things like that? Um, one day they're underfueling because they're burning 3,000 calories, but they're only eating 2,500. You know, and that can have huge impacts on body composition, uh, performance, the way they feel during that big activity day. Uh, but like periodizing that nutrition alongside their training plan is huge, and they can see massive gains moving forward. Um, and that, that there's a couple of ways to do that. Um, and I think let's take like a meal, for example. So you could change the type of meal that you have. So if I said breakfast, say on an off day, you might have a higher protein breakfast, you might have three eggs, one slice of toast, good off day breakfast, 300 odd cows, 20 grams of protein, real nice. Um, but that's quite low calorie breakfast for someone who's going to do you know high activity. So what you could do is change the complete type of breakfast. Um, have some overnight oats with some nut butter, some protein, little side yogurt, things like that. We bang it up to 700 calories, higher protein, higher carb. It's going to fuel us what we do. Or we could just quite simply like keep the same sort of breakfast, but add a couple extra bits to it. And that's kind of what I said to, to my guys that are used to like having an omelet every day. Okay, how can we change that? Okay, we can add an extra egg onto it. We could add, you know, some avocado with it, some higher fat, higher calorie. We could, instead of having one slice of toast, we can have two slices of toast on that activity day. That's an easy way of periodizing what you're doing based on, based on the activity. Um, but yeah, getting an idea of that will have huge implications on performance. Um, and I think a lot of people listening to this will probably think, yeah, actually, I do the same thing every day. And it's yeah, good that's, day. that's why I'm not in my head. Yeah, bad, bad for other days. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just, I always think just do a bit of tracking. You know, I'm not a huge fan of things like my fitness pal and tracking calories. Uh, people do it every single day, and I'm like, why? Like, yeah. Once you kind of see what you're doing in a week, you can kind of look at that week and think, okay, right, I'm hitting on these days. These days I'm underfueled. These days I'm overfueled. These days I need to add this in. These days I need to remove that. A lot of times, like people have got really good diets, and you've got to rearrange it a little bit, and you go. Like, I'll ask you, when from your experience? Um, the athletes usually have takeaways and like cheat meals and things like that. Well, mm. so to me working with amateur rugby players, when do they do it? The weekends a battle. The weekends yeah. a battle, but it's usually the off day, isn't it? Well, yeah. So the days off, but they're going out and they're going to restaurants and, and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I'm sat there thinking, well, hang on, days off, they're not expending barely any calories compared to what they're doing on training day. So they're then, uh, then having a 1500 calorie meal yeah. and sitting. And I'm sat there thinking, well, no, like do that on the match day, do that on that high low training day, that Tuesday when they've got a big session, because your body's going to use those calories. It's going to use yeah. them for recovery. Whereas that off day, that day off, you know, they end up expending 2500 calories, but eating 4,000 and they're playing catch up for the rest. And then they wonder why they are not dropping that body fat. And, and you know getting leaner if that is their goal yeah you know just not as taking those days rearranging them a little bit you see some huge gains um so yeah that's the biggest mistake i see in terms of like of what amateurs do um and it is lifestyle change like people might listen to this and think oh it's, it's too much for me to do that because i'm used to this and it's like okay well if you want to get better at physical performance you've got to take that step and look at yourself look at what you're doing how can you adapt it um so yeah, but in terms of supplements, uh, it's an interesting one, really. Like from from amateurs, um, you know, I think 
you know, they're probably like the basics. So you see a lot of people consuming protein intakes when sort of cons consuming protein shakes when their protein intake is, is absolutely fine. Um, which, because like it's so commercial. Like I used to work for a supplement company. Um, not not in like the like selling supplements or like making them more with like the athletes that they sponsored, but you could see the marketing was just tailored as like you need this to, to yeah. stay big or you need this to help you recover. And like you don't. And that was one of the frustrating things about working there. Um some people do and there are places for it, you know, busy people, you don't have time, like we spoke about, you know, in the car on the way back from training, you know, got time to cook food, get, you know, recovery is priority and I get it. But um yeah, like track, you know, you shouldn't really need to have more than two grams of protein per kilo of your body mass per day. Um, there'd be no need for that. That's on the high end scale, you know, for for those looking to build muscle mass or or if there's like an off day and you're reducing carbohydrate. So yeah, just don't waste money, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah. People are wasting money on it. I think, you know, there are there's so much bs out there on instagram and things and like if we take like performance supplements as like a as a little strand i really like to focus on because like our, our guys we're really trying to push like certainly in elite athletes trying to push those extra one two percent um and it's like there's not actually many performance supplements that actually work okay and the ones that do work creatine monohydrate that works that is so well researched like if i'm a strength power repeated sprint sport athlete <clears throat> you should be using creatine monohydrate to enhance performance the next one is nitrates you know they work they increase endurance performance vasodilates your blood vessels gets more blood oxygen to the working muscle it works how do we have it through things like beetroot the new nitrate shots that are coming out that taste a whole lot better uh, we use the ones from uh soccer supplement which which taste really nice like apple shots they work you've got beta alanine so that helps kind of similar sort of like as creatine so you've got to load it up um but that helps kind of buffer hydrogen that makes your blood more acidic um that kind of slows you down helps you push past that barrier in kind of sprints and longer distance runs kind of two three minutes long those three are caffeine obviously we know that works in terms of performance probably one of the best supplements ever um, in the coffee. So, you know, what does that do? That helps reduce the perception of fatigue. So it can help you again, push back, push past those barriers. Um, you know, probably in terms of performance supplements, those are the four. Like name another one like that. There's so many things out there, right? That are claiming that they increase performance in, you know, there's probiotics now claiming that they can increase recovery and you know there's some interesting research out there but like if you're going to look at performance supplements look at those four you know try them out give them a go don't get brainwashed into non-evidence-based supplements so yeah. yeah just um just jumping on the caffeine one a second just because like it's the one that probably most people are having some form of caffeine day-to-day -day. um and you see it a lot like at amateur level you know the players before a game like right before kickoff with these, you know, the, the third, fourth kind of Red Bull. Yeah. At what at what point does that start to have maybe interfering effects? Is that something that you think yeah. there is? Or, you know, what's 
Because everyone has a, a flat white than a Red Bull or something on a game day. And is it is it too much or, or where do they need to be? I think there's a bit of a, like a U theory on it. So like we see sort of increases in arousal up to a certain level. And then when we go a bit far up, it kind of performance will kind of decrease. In some in some cases, you see a steep deep decline. So, but it is, um, there are guidelines on it. So in terms of like, recommendations are probably where to start it's that three milligrams of caffeine per kilo of body mass is that per day is that in one dose it depends depends on on you as an individual um but that is a place where in terms of performance say you have a couple of cup of uh, a couple of cups of coffee a day you can tolerate it and yeah three milligrams per kilo is where i'd start in terms of performance gain in terms of like the research the research has gone all the way up to kind of seven milligrams per kilo, which, which is a huge amount. Um, but, you know, I think it's just so individual, individual tolerance is huge. Like I will start, I will have four cups of, of good quality coffee a day. So for me to see the performance gains in it, I need to have, you know, probably a whole lot more than 300 milligrams of, of caffeine yeah. in, to, in to see the gains in. Um, but start small and work your way up. Um, you know, you'll know, you know, you will try it out. And again, it comes down to like, try it out in training. Don't try it on match day. Um, yeah. Or, or you're going to have issues, just like anything, anything that I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, it's hugely individual, but start about three milligrams per kilo. Yeah, no, that's good insight. Like I'm saying like, I have, I have a lot of coffee. Um, so I feel like, I, again, I have to have a, a little bit more. And then I know then some guys that have done that on game day where they've maybe read something that's someone's put online and, uh, Next minute, the you know the jittering on the pitch because they've had a bit too much. Um, I just want to revert it back, just sorry, just to one of the other things before I move on. Um, and it was about the periodization of the nutrition. Um, and if you had a good rule of thumb of of where to move that maybe that energy intake depending on you know a high day versus a low day yeah. versus your general kind of like calorie intake normal. Yeah, I mean that's actually you just kind of nailed it on the head. Like high days or low days. I think that's a really good place to start. Yeah. And again, it comes down to, I think, to, to really get it right, you've got to download the MyFitnessPal carbs and cows or something like that and track it and understand what that high and low day is and what that looks like. Um, but in terms of like performance, say if your goal is to perform, you're not trying to cut weight, you're not trying to gain weight, it's, you know, perform, you know, you will have maintenance days. Uh, you're probably on off days, lower sort of intensity training days even if it's just like low duration days then you will have high days where you are trying to probably get into a little bit of a surplus so even if it's about two three hundred calories on that heavy training day double session day because the aim is to adapt from what you've just done uh, and get better at your sport get fitter so you might go into a bit of a surplus and i think that getting that low high day is there um, and just think of it like you know, what have I got on tomorrow? Right, that big session. Right, it's a high day tomorrow. This is how I'm going to adapt. I'm going to have a bit extra here. I'm going to swap out my protein bar for a protein bar and uh, two slices of toast with, with peanut butter, something like that. It's giving me extra calories, extra carbohydrate. It's going to fuel your performance. Yeah. No, I think that's a good insight to what I would call, and I think you've touched on as well, as those big rocks across across everything. So I kind of, I think that takes us nicely to the next bit. So for someone at amateur level who's maybe got those big rocks nailed down, um, you know, consistently, where else? And you've touched on the 1% for the elites. 
Um, mm. You know, what are those kind of one percenters that maybe the amateur athlete can then start exploring? Yeah, I think I think once you've got those big rocks that, that we've already discussed, you are probably looking at potentially like micronutrient levels. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of like like you test. You know, you don't guess at what you do. Um, but I think again, get once you know the big rocks are the first thing. You don't really need to test yourself to understand that you need to get those big rocks right. Um, so like you know, elites will will blood test themselves sort of four times a year, um, and you know majority of people will be um you know vitamin d deficient at some point in the year um depending on how much you do see a lot of iron deficiencies you see a lot of folate deficiencies b12 deficiencies um and like again it's more of a health side of things and that should always come first you know health should always come first um we're really kind of just discussing performance here but you know if you're not getting your iron right you're not getting oxygen delivery right um you know in terms of the roles of b vitamins if you're b vitamin deficient you know you're going to feel pretty rubbish vitamin d deficient you're more likely to get ill um you you know your muscles won't contract as well as they would do vitamin d and calcium are linked breakages and things like that in, in collision sports majority of people that break bones are also vitamin d deficient so that is a really good place to go to i i always use um sort of thriver blood tests the little finger prick blood tests and really they're literally i think you can get like a really good sport based blood test that will give you pretty much everything that you need testosterone levels things like that good picture of your kind of health that you can't you know really argue with uh it's in your blood what 50 60 quid and you know i i get them myself um because i know it'll help me sort of develop my own nutrition plan because it's very, very different. You could have two people having exactly the same diet, do both their blood tests, be completely different because the way things affect the individual is key. So it's definitely looking more towards that personalized approach and, and personalized nutrition. So that's where I, I would go to once you've nailed all those big rocks. Then, yeah, I, I think it's about looking at that kind of potentially, you know, what supplements might aid my performance. So the ones that we touched upon, uh, it might be focusing a little bit more around kind of what you do immediately pre-exercise at half time, might be what you do during your long endurance runs, you know, that kind of like small little, you know, sometimes we think, oh, like an energy gel is only 25 grams of carbohydrate, but actually when you have it, how you um, train your gut to deal with that at certain times you know, I think that's where I would look look towards. Yeah. You, you mentioned half-time there, which leads me on nice to the next question of kind of like game day strategies. So to be honest with you, it's probably the biggest question I get with athletes that come on to our online coaching um, is, you know, the carb loading versus non-carb load, carb loading, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what do you see as a good game day strategy for amateur athletes? Just, you know, a few, a few points that they can take into the game maybe straight away. Yeah, so first thing, I mean, it starts on match day minus one. Um, I think that is where we will load up 80, potentially 90% of the energy that you use on match day. Um, and a lot of people get that wrong and just think they need to have a big carbohydrate-based meal the night before their game. So, you know, again, look at what you do. That's a good time to just track what you do on match day minus one. So you should be looking towards that seven grams of carbohydrate per kilo of your body mass. 
uh, on that day, which can be, you know, really high for certain people, the bigger you are, especially, you know, props and things like that. It's, it, it's, a, it's a lot of carbohydrate. Um, but yeah, get that right. Four or five meals, all carbohydrate based, um, snacks in between, again, carb based. Like you're a team sport athlete, you love carbohydrates, do it. Carbohydrates are the main fuel source for repeated sprint sports, um, you know, that you don't get fat adapted uh you know team sport athletes um i'm yet to see one and those that claim they are don't usually do very well um so yeah that, unfortunately that's how physiology works i know that'll, that'll probably upset a few people um but in terms of yeah getting the most out of yourself and the most out of performance yeah match day minus one is where it goes in terms of match day for me pre-match is about topping up what you did the day before because uh, we we use carbohydrates all the time. We use them when we get out and walk. We use them when we do our warm up. We want to start that game one hundred percent topped up with glycogen because we know that in rugby football we are dangerously low in glycogen stores. So our carbohydrate stores, you know, around about that kind of 10, 15 minutes before the end of the game. Um, and if you look at any statistic of when games are usually won and lost is in the last 10 minutes of, of, of sport because that is when certain people on certain teams are, you know, that they're, they're low in glycogen, they're not thinking properly, they're low on energy, and, you know, it's directly attributed to that. Obviously, there are other factors, you know, tactical, things like that. Um, but even if you look at, like, all of the, the old World Cup football um sort of goals and like 40% of them were scored in the last 10 minutes. Like it's crazy. Um, so yeah, I would think depending on when the time that your timings go. So you should always have that pre-match meal around three hours before. I always like to start it a little bit earlier, so kind of three and a half hours before to then finish your pre-match for meal three hours before. And again, that should kind of look similar to, to kind of what you've done on match day minus one so for some people they like to use more like breakfasty brunchy foods um you know pancakes crepes you know toast omelets things like that but just make sure you keep it carbohydrate there's big mistake i see is people doing like toast with eggs and avocado smoked salmon that's good it's healthy but it's also really high in fat as well and we want to try and limit fat on match day particularly pre-match because again, we want to be promoting carbohydrate as our fuel source. Um, so kind of depending on the times, you've got 12 o'clock kickoff, your pre-match meal, you know, half eight in the morning, it's really easy. Where it gets a little bit trickier is when you get to like the evening games, late afternoon, um, you know, you need to be having like a breakfast, a lunch and a pre-match meal. Um, in those evening uh, sort of games, what I've been doing over the last couple of years is promoting like a like a really big volume breakfast and then kind of tapering down to the end of the day. So say you might have a big volume breakfast at like 8 a.m., regular lunch and like kind of a smaller pre-match meal around, you know, four o'clock for that 7.45 kickoff. Um, and that's just because of food volume in the stomach. Um, I find that when people would have a really big pre-match for evening games, they were feeling too heavy, too full, too much, too much food in the gut during that time, so kind of adapted there. But again, it's different for different people. Um, in terms of hydration, you know, it's 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 understanding your body, you know, use like the color of your urine um, as a sort of an indicator. But in general, around about three hours before, and there are guidelines for this, it's kind of to have between five and 10 mils of fluid per kilo of your body mass three hours before. 
and then kind of sit on your on your way up to match day and then you should be absolutely fine there but understand your body weight you know if you wake up and you're a kilo down you've not dropped a kilo of body of, of body fat or muscle mass overnight it's probably because you're a little bit dehydrated um, yes and help there um so yeah that's kind of like how i would go into match day so what's so one of the things that i see um a lot at amateur level on match day is during the warm-up or prior to the warm-ups even started is Lucas Aids and Gatorades being smashed a full bottle before a game. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. There's so many different ways of, of fuel. And, and I always think, like, if you can tolerate it, the more fuel, the better, because it's only going to provide you a ready available glucose to use during exercise. And we want to be pretty much constantly topping up so I know some players that like to have, yeah, like just sip a full bottle of Lucozid during the warm-up. They might come in, have an energy gel, and then go out. I know some players that don't like to have any fluid during that warm-up. They might have an energy gel because they don't want to feel too heavy before, like the fluid volume before they go onto the pitch. There's no right or wrong way of doing it. Yeah. One thing that we do follow is just making sure that you try and get like 60 grams of carbohydrate an hour during, and that includes the warm-up. So that could be like, you know, 40 grams of carbohydrate during the warm-up, so a bottle of Lucozid, could be a 20 gram gel before you go on, then having like 40 grams of carbohydrate at half time. So a gel and half a bottle of Lucozid, that's a good place to start. Um, you know, things like, I always, to be honest, like gels and things and Lucozids are great. But um, one thing that athletes love, elite athletes, things like Jaffa cakes, squares bars, banana serene loaves uh, little flapjacks that you can buy like little granola flapjacks they're so cheap cheaper than gels and they go down nice and easy obviously it's just practice practice and training uh, wash it down with some water um and i always think i always prefer that sort of fuel it's cheaper and now we're seeing that we're going through so much of it at my teams right now um the chefs the chefs you know hate it because they've got to cut it all up and things but um yeah it's good to see because I think people think they have to have a gel and they hate it. And you're like, well, have you tried this? They're like, no, I've got to have a gel. All the pros use it. It's like, yeah, they do, but they also use this. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely fine having Lucozid and things like that. So it's all good. The reason I'm laughing is I did the Leeds Half Marathon and um, obviously like, people are passing you stuff as you're going around. And I was just like having gels and I physically couldn't swallow them just because they, they were a bit warm at the time as well. I just couldn't have them. But the one thing I could take was the kids giving me sweets as I went around. So I was just like smashing Haribo's as I went around. Um, because Haribo, I, I fun bag. Haribo fun bags are ideal. You get like 10 grams of carbohydrate in each little fun bag. Yeah. You know, two of them is what you get in an energy gel. So yeah. That's what, that's what you want at half time. It's easy to get down, but sports nutrition doesn't always, again, it just comes down to marketing of supplement companies. Yeah. Like sports nutrition is nutrition had around sport, not necessarily coming in like a gel packet endorsed by an athlete. does yeah. exactly the same thing. Yeah. I think it would be good to finish off then, because we've, we've spoke a lot about amateur athletes, is just talking about maybe your experiences in the elite environment and maybe some of your biggest lessons and your biggest takeaways from working in so many different professional sports at the highest level. It would be really interesting to hear. Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, I made a few notes on this actually because I found it, I found it really hard um, kind of question to answer really because it's, it's kind of like I've had so many learning curves. Like I've made so many mistakes and like luckily I've had the opportunity to make those mistakes and learn from them. But like 
it's definitely kind of a couple of standouts like I think to be a nutritionist like it's more than just nutrition like you've got to understand like GPS and strength and conditioning fitness coaching and all that side of things I like, so linked like I'm so glad I started where I did kind of doing sports science and a bit of anything because I, I understand how everybody else works I understand the stats you know I know that when a player has you know, hit 110% of their distance throughout that game, like they're fueled right for it. Okay, how am I going to take that and reinforce it? Like, that's key. But I also think, like, I don't go too hard on nutrition, like, when it comes to working in elite sport. Like, small steps show great gains, in my opinion. Sometimes it's really easy to just be, like, going to an environment and just be constantly going on about nutrition People will get a little bit sick of you. People don't like talking about nutrition, I've learned. People hate it. Like, everybody's a chef. Everybody's a nutritionist in their own mind. Um, and, like, you've got to develop a relationship with people and develop trust. Um, because, you know, a lot of players and elite players, athletes, like, they're also used to doing what everyone else is doing and going on Instagram and looking at some of the crap on there um, that is uninformed but those people might come across as experts. Um, so yeah, develop relationships with people is key. Um, so if I join a new club, new environment, like I almost won't even talk about nutrition for the first like four or five weeks. I'm, I'm yeah. just trying to understand how people work. Um, you know, like it's really, really hard to see gains in elite players. Like that's one thing. And you, you'll see it uh, if you've, you've worked with a couple of like, high-end athletes. When you work with an amateur, it's really easy to make quick fixes, see huge gains in potential and, and huge gains in times and things like that. Like I remember when I first started running, just did my first marathon, like four and a half hours, something like that. And then the next one, I shared like half an hour off it. And I'm thinking right now, I did my fastest ones like 257. Now I'm trying to like, I'm trying to share like 20 seconds off it. And I'm thinking like, yeah. what can I do to share 20 seconds off it? Whereas when I was, more of an amateur beginner I could ship half an hour off it um you know that's like elite athletes is like they're already where they are right now because they've done a lot of things right but it's about finding those gaps in what they might not be doing right and really trying to hit those hard and it comes in so many different places you know um I think a lot of it is down to like the psychology it's one thing that I've been learning so much like I, I have you know decent amount of knowledge you don't know everything I still like I'm still baffled when I, I speak to some of like my mentors and some of like the the, the lecturers that I've worked with they, they know so much and I feel like I don't but like I've got a decent amount of knowledge but being able to get people to do it is a different story I know some really clever nutritionists like students coming out from uni but they can't make people do anything because they've not got that kind of relationship skills and people skills and also like psychological psychological skills like around behavior change and like I kind of approach things in my own like kind of different way and I'd approach like anybody coaches listening to this or anything like that will kind of know where I'm at because like coaching is is hard making people do stuff as an SNC coach I think you've got it quite good because you watch them do it and make them do it whereas like in an elite environment, I might see one or two meals throughout the day, but I'm actually telling people to do things to, to go away and do it. Are they actually doing it? You know, and that's one thing that I wanted to make sure that they're doing. So I 
I look at things like around the the behavior change wheel. I don't know if you've heard of it. I think it's really yeah. good theory about how to how to make people do things. And I do my 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 own kind of way of it. And I'll kind of give you a bit of an example. So, you know, I might like firstly like I, I define the problem and identify kind of like what behavior needs to change. So try and specify it. Why aren't they doing what I'm telling them to do? Why aren't they doing it? So let's let's use an example of like we've got a young player just got an, uh, an ACL injury, something like that. They're struggling with like motivation. And I've outlined that that's the issue. They're not motivated because they've got six months out, for example. And that, that's me defining the source of that behavior, motivation. There could be a couple of other things. Then I want to try and like identify like the intervention functions. So things like, you know, do I need to restrict something? Do I need to educate them? Do I need to model them? Do I need to incentivize something to you know help them do it? So in let's use like modeling, for example, if they're ACL injury, first one that they've ever had as a young player, I might get a senior player who's already had that injury maybe twice before, get them to deliver my my sort of nutritional advice for me. Because then they're gonna look at that player and be like, oh, he's a senior player, he's had X amount of caps. I can get if I can if he can get through it, I can. Then I want to kind of try and like identify the policy category. So do I need to put some guidelines in place? Do we need to change our service provision? Um, do I need to, you know, communicate in a better way? So in this case, I use like the other player to communicate for me. I might have to change some of the services. I might have to change some of the meals that we provide and maybe have like a, you know, injured player, player's fridge with, you know, collagen jellies in there, something like that. That's kind of just specific for them. So like, for me, it's behavioral psychology of like one thing that I've had to learn a lot about in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's funny you say that. It's like, no, it's like um, my first, so I did my internships and stuff like that. And then my first kind of role that I had myself was uh, with a, a semi-pro rugby league squad. And I can remember going in, there was quite a senior player there, played Super League and stuff. And I asked him to do something. He point blank said no. And it was that first time where I felt quite offended at the time before actually then understanding him as a player. Like that's why I was interested in hearing about the behavior. Long, long story short, I had to learn the hard way of like learning how to like motivate him in different ways. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear that because like it's same, you know, it's, uh, I think you come out of university maybe with, you know, you're fresh of ideas, your textbook's still under your, your, your armpit and you're able to go and then. Yeah, so it's maybe a bit of a different experience when you get there. So it's really interesting to hear your version of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think there's still a lot of research that comes forward and is like in behavioral psychology and making people do things. There's so many different models. Not all of them work with everyone. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's really good insight. And look, like the, the conversation you've had there, like I've taken loads from it. So I know that a lot of other coaches and a lot of other athletes are going to do that as well because there's loads of little practical bits they can put straight into the training or straight into the coaching. So thank you for your time. Um, I think it'd be good to just finish off with, if you just want to tell people where they can find you um, and then I'll put it in the notes at the bottom as well. Yeah, so I'm probably, I only really use Instagram, tedmonson.nutrition. Um, yeah, post your few bits on there, bit of mean like elite insights and things like that. Um, but yeah, just... Um, quite open like to chat so just you know shoot shoot a message shoot a message over um got a website tedmonson.com um yeah 
Smash him. Cheers for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks.